Welcome to the woodshed, said I. Welcome back. Hello, good evening, afternoon, morning, wherever you're at in the world. Um, thanks for listening. I've been picking up a lot of new download locations lately, and it's a, it's a really cool thing. It's it's neat to watch and uh, soak in. So thank you to all the, the folks that are listening new, and thank you to all the folks that have been here a while. I appreciate that. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with me. <laughs> um, yeah, we're doing it again. Today I'll be talking with Ted Russell Camp. This guy has done some stuff. We'll get into it with him today. I'm, I'm happy to have him on. Um, hey, want to thank the sponsors. You know, normal the normal thing to do. Um, the sponsors are uh, Royal Coffee Roasting here in Medford, down in Vegas. There's three locations. And then there's the location in Salt Lake City and in Boise, Idaho. That's right. It's Boise, not Boise. If you say Boise, you're doing it wrong. It's Boise. I was corrected in Boise. Boise, Idaho, one time. So that's you just need to know that. Hey, uh, just a couple weeks ago, I got to meet the bones of J.R. Jones. That was cool. He's great. He's very good live. If you're out there and you see the bones of J.R. Jones playing somewhere, go. Don't even hesitate. Just go. Get a ticket right away and go to the show. He's really good and just really sweet. Nice guy. Uh, hooked me up with a T-shirt. Just friendly. Uh, we hung out, went to coffee for a little bit before they departed to Portland. Um, so, yeah, that was cool. It was a good experience. I enjoyed it, and I, I hope he did, too. <laughs> Seemed like he did. Nice guy. Um, anything else? Oh, if you're in a band and you want to be on the podcast, um, let's do it, man. Hit me up. Welcome to the woodshed at yahoo.com. I'm not going to answer anything else. If it's a band request, cool. If it's anything else, psh, trash. Just saying. Um, but yeah, today we'll be talking with Ted Russell Camp, and um, he's he's got quite an accomplishment in his professional life, and we'll get into it with him. So thank you for being here, and uh, yeah, take it away, Cam. Here we go. When I'm feeling like I just don't want to deal with the world today, I go down to the woodshed where all we do is pick and play. Play a song for the underdogs and the happy-going-lucky Play a song for the Californios and East Kentucky And when I'm feeling like I just don't want to deal with the world today I go down to the woodshed where all we do is pick and play I go down to the woodshed where I would do is pick and play. Ted Russell Camp, welcome to the woodshed. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I want to thank Joe Swank of Swank Promotions for setting this up. He's he's handed me a few artists to to interview. So thank you, Joe. Seems like a great guy. I want to get him on. So. He'd be great. And actually, he has quite a wonderful history in the music industry, as well as just a, a great personal energy. He's a great talker and uh, oh, lover sorry. of life. How did you get linked up with him? Um, how did I? Let's see. I have I've put out many records. This, I believe this new album, California Sun, is my 14th album. Okay. So, and I've done one every year or two for like the last 15 or 18 years. Um, and I've worked, some were with larger labels, some were just completely self-released. Uh, and I figured out after the first album or two that you simply need to, uh, not just put the music out and sell it out of your trunk and at live, sell your CDs to your friends at live gigs, but you have to hire a staff. And if, uh, even if I'm putting out my own music, I need to treat it like it's a label. And so one of the things that I've found very valuable is hiring a radio promoter who focuses on Americana, huh. uh, you know, because my music is very it, it's very roots music influenced. There's definitely a more modern or singer songwriter energy to it. But there's definitely some country and some blues and some gospel uh, and some like little feet, funkier overtones. Uh, and so I have now experimented with hiring 
four or five different radio promoters throughout all these records. And let's see, maybe maybe four or five years ago, I had just been hearing, I was looking for a new radio promoter and I had heard good things about Joe and his work. Uh, and so I just kind of cold called him. Okay. And I said, hey, here's a link to my, and you know, send him a, <laughs> an email. Here's a link to my website. If you like the music, let's do something. And he emailed back like, within 20 minutes and said, yep, I went to your website. I love what you're doing. Let's work together. And so I think this is our third or fourth record we're doing together now. He's been great to work with. Yeah. Joe is one of the guys that I've worked with a bit. Um, I saw a little past history about my podcasting experience. I I was doing a different one for about five years and uh, I would interview like authors, musicians, uh, people doing, you know, creative things. And then I decided because of my history as a DJ that I would, I, I should be interviewing musicians. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Then it kind of, you know, I, I just start digging, man. I probably spend 15 or 20 hours a week digging for artists to interview. And at this point, I'm going to be booked in June, like next week. So wow. it, it's kind of nuts. Yeah. I hope they don't forget. But anyway, um, and Joe was, um, Joe was one of the, the, like the PR guys that got right back to me just immediately. He hooked me up with Wiley Gustafson from, uh, Wiley and the Wild West show. He lives up in Montana. Great musician. I've, I've been familiar with his music since about 94 when I was DJing a, a country bar here in, in Southern Oregon. Have you been up this way? We're, we're in Medford. Oh, oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, I've lived in L.A. now for a little over 20 years. Uh, and actually, before that, I lived in Seattle. Oh, OK. <laughs> uh, I grew up in New York and then moved to Seattle after college. And I lived there and learned and really started learning how to be a professional musician in Seattle. Uh, and so when I was up there, <clears throat> We, you know, I started very local, just playing in town and, you know, driving within an hour of the city. And then I had a couple bands and started doing some touring. We went all over Washington State and Idaho and all over Oregon. We play, we, we had a, a booking agent and some great friends in Portland, but we would play in Ashland and Medford. Oh, yeah. And Eugene. Uh, yeah, so I've been to Medford just a few times, but I love Oregon. It's a beautiful state. I love Ashland, man. I lived there for about 15 years, uh, ran and DJed a nightclub there, a little tiny one. I don't even know why they would call it a nightclub. It only held about 50 people legally, <laughs> but it was, it was always packed. Like, it was, you know, we'd have a line out the door. I did an 80s night every Friday, and it was really Great. popular with the college there. Um, but yeah, that was, man, that's been a bit, but well, what? What music did you grow up listening to? Uh, when I was a kid, I was growing up in the 80s, and I loved Rush and Boston and the police. Uh, I remember I was when I was in ninth grade, I had got electric bass, and I first started playing in different bands. Uh, and I was in one band that would do all classic rock. And then I ended up joining another band with some guys who, uh, who were a little hipper than I was. And so we started doing like early songs by U2 and R.E.M. and Husker Du uh, and even Fishbone. And so these guys had more arty and kind of eclectic taste. What was what was what was called college radio at the time or alternative radio, yeah. you know. Uh, and so I loved those. Then I uh, I saw the Blues Brothers movie. <laughs> hell of love with soul music uh, and so i put i put a band together a bunch of friends with and i was a I was a band geek my i started on trumpet in the fourth grade mm. so i brought in a bunch of my horn player friends and we had kind of a, a a suburban new york bunch of white kids getting into soul music band uh i loved jazz my dad was a real uh jazz lover and aficionado and so he would take me to see Stan Getz and Jerry Mulligan and Lee Konitz. Uh, we saw Doc Severinsen one time hmm. uh, and the Preservation Hall Jazz Band. So I love jazz and I, I, I kind of played jazz all through high school and college. Uh, and then even after college, I was kind of I, when I was in Seattle, I was making my living predominantly playing jazz for, for three or four years. Uh, and then I, I slowly realized I wasn't put on this earth to be a jazz musician. I, I, rem I remember being on a jazz gig and when I was driving home, I realized, well, my two favorite songs we did tonight were the blues tunes. Hmm. 
And I was like, well, there's something about roots music I need to get back into. And, uh, and, and learning all learning, learning and getting deeply into jazz was amazing because you learn a lot about chord progressions and voice leading and how one chord leads to the next mm. and the subtle differences between, you know, like maybe a, uh, something that, that George Gershwin would do versus Cole Porter would do versus what, you know, what, what some of the later and hipper composers in jazz would have done. Uh, and, and it was really an incredible, it was almost like my grad school. Uh, but then I realized, Hey, I don't really, do, I don't, I don't do this instinctively. I'm doing this cause I love it. But, uh, then I started to meet some of the folk musicians in Seattle. I met, I met two guys who did a, uh, a real kind of David Grisman, Jerry Garcia style old in the way band, which I loved because it was kind of the complexity of jazz and gypsy music, but also bluegrass and singer songwriter stuff. Uh, and then I kind of eased into, and then I discovered the band and whiskey town in the old 97s. And I was like, you know, this, this, uh, it wasn't really called Americana yet. It was called alt country, mm -hmm. uh, but I was like, that's what I want to do. And I was like discovering Graham Parsons and the countryside of the Rolling Stones. Uh, uh, and then that kind of, uh, the love of that music paved the way for what I'm still doing now. I, I, it's, it's a really funny thing. I'm, I'm assuming here that we're probably close to the same age. I'm 53. Um, so yeah, yeah. yeah okay. We're, 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 we're right in the ballpark, right in the ballpark. Okay. But it's, it's funny to me. Um, and maybe it's because I spend so much time looking into music, uh, for the podcast, but I, I don't think that people younger than me, and I'm going to say younger, like, um, even performers, some performers are familiar, but like the, the people that I've talked to outside of the podcast don't know who Graham Parsons is. And it blows my mind. Yeah. You know, in the and to think about where um I can't remember the guitar player's name in in that band. Um but Marty Stewart still plays the, his guitar. And it's Yeah, yeah, yeah. And nobody um, knows Marty Stewart and that also oh, just Clarence White. Yes, thank you. Um uh, but yeah. Marty Stewart is a is like a hero, musical hero of mine. I met him in Nashville in 97 had a cool time meeting him. And I was, you know, this was back when I'm playing in a country bar as a DJ. And yeah. I went to Nashville to speak at a convention about programming country music to the dance floor. Because in country music, you've got two-step, waltz, tr I mean, you've got this, all that's in jazz too, except it's Foxtrot or, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's a different, it's no, a but, and that And that's one thing that, uh, another actually thing that in jazz that got me back into playing rootsier popular music is that, when jazz was coming up, it was dance music. Yeah, it was party music, and it yeah. and like it wasn't until the bebop era and then the fifties when Miles Davis and John Coltrane and, and uh, you know Horace Silver and all these guys are like, no, uh, jazz is to listen to. Jazz is sophisticated, and we're going to express ourselves. <laughs> Where if you go back earlier through the big band era, the swing era, even like early Louis Armstrong, like that was party music, and it was designed so you could enjoy and dance and. Uh, uh, and country music is very much that way too. Like I, I, I don't do it a lot now, but when I was first living in LA and really kind of getting into country music and learning about it, like I joined a bunch of, uh, and played bass in a bunch of bands that just played local honky tonks. I love, and some, I love that. Some were more into <laughs> modern music. Some were more into classic, you know, Hank Snow and, uh, and yeah, like, and they, you know, the singer would call off, here's a slap in leather. Da -da 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 -da. Here's a dance. You know, they there were there were so many specific tempos and styles of dancing, and it was it was pretty great to get out of the kind of hipster rock and roll world where everyone just kind of stands there and is kind of like hopefully enjoying but kind of judging your, you while you're playing, and then the next night going out to a honky tonk. It's like wow, there are seventy five people dancing right now. <laughs> yeah, it's like we're we're part of this ancient tradition of making music so that your community can just like dance and enjoy. Uh, so yeah, that's great. That, that's great that, that you came from that world as well. It's, it's a funny thing too, because I can play any music, right? <clears throat> like I, I don't have a, I guess that you would say I'm open format, right? So I can play hip hop. I can play house music, rock and roll country. Um, formatically, I, I understand country uh, very deeply and um, can actually program that 
you know, pretty exact. Um, but I would never take a gig to play jazz because I, I feel strongly that if you're going to if you want to ja if you want jazz as your entertainment, you should have an artist to do that, <laughs> you know, not a DJ, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> you yes. know, because country music is pretty specific with the two step and the cha cha's and the waltzes and you got your line dances and rock and roll and hip hop and, and even house music is just, you know, open the floor and let's dance. Um, but yeah, so it, it's, it's funny to kind of hear you talk about jazz and, and also relate it to former interviews that I've done. Are, are you familiar with Tyler Childers and the food stamps? Uh, I know, I know Tyler. Okay. So his, his bass guitarist and his drummer are both super into jazz. Okay. And you can hear it. The drummer, Rodney, plays right behind the beat. It's a really cool kind of that Waylon Jennings uh, drum pattern. And then the bassist is like, he's he gets, I watch him. I haven't seen them live yet. I'll, I'll be seeing them in August when they go to Bend. Um, but I watch their live stuff on YouTube whenever I, whenever I see something new. And I watch... Craig just getting, you know, he's funky, you know, that's what bass players are is, is, is funky. And, and I, and I think I can say that. Okay. With a little bit of a license, Ted. So forgive me if not, but my son played a fretless bass all through junior high and high school. And I wish he still did. I kind of want to beat him up, but that's assault, you know, so I, <laughs> I won't, but like he was so, yeah, yeah, yeah. he was so good on bass, man. And he can play drums and he can play guitar. And I'm like, and, and, you know, and then he had kids and he just sort of stopped. And I'm like, man, Riley, you should get back into it. Um, I bought him his first and second fretless bass. Um, I've, I've bought him a few other, you know, musical things. But, you know, now he's, you know, he's working, he's grinding, he's a great dad. And I, I really wish he could still play. Um, but I wanted to know, um, what's it like working with Shooter Jennings? What, and how did that happen for you? How did that come about? Oh, Shooter's awesome. I've now been playing with Shooter uh, almost exactly 20 years. Wow, cool. We actually met at, at towards the end of, of 2003. Uh, so I had a couple mutual... I, I, had, I, was, I was living in L.A. I, let's say I moved to L.A. in 2001, maybe. Uh, and I was slowly... I, I, I was realizing I don't want to just be a bass player that plays any music for anybody. Mm. I really want to hone in on this roots music and Americana and singer songwriter music. Uh, and so I started only taking those gigs and turning down the other gigs. And so I became one of the kind of up and coming people that all those bands would start to want to work with. And I started my own band that uh, uh, we started playing a little bit too uh, around the scene and doing multi-band bills and everyone getting to know each other. Uh, and then, uh, I had heard of Shooter, but I didn't know him. Uh, and one of the guitarists that I was working a lot with, uh, had just started playing with Shooter like a couple weeks ago, a couple weeks before that. And, uh, when Shooter first moved to LA, he was in a, he was in a band called Stargun. Mm -hmm. And they were very, they were much more like Guns N' Roses and riff rock. There was a lot of attitude to them. And, uh. And Shooter, of course, was trying to like not be country like his parents. He was he was very, always had very eclectic taste and was really doing this kind of like dark blues rock music, you know. Uh, anyway, so that band was breaking up. Shooter was realizing he wanted to do he wanted to bring in the Waylon and the Jesse and the country influence that he grew up with. Uh, and his bass player was a real rock and roller and was not could do the rock half of the set really well, but not the country half of the set. Mm. Um, so he started asking around and looking for a bass player and this guitarist that I played with. And then another guy that I had played with, who was an old high school friend of shooters, they both recommended me to him. So they gave him my number shooter called. I went to a rehearsal slash audition in the middle of Hollywood. Uh, at one of those funky, you know, rehearsal spaces where you hear the heavy metal drummer next door and all that. Uh, <laughs> And so it just clicked right away. I in instinctively liked him and understood what his songs were doing and what his songwriting choices were. And, you know, I loved the, the Zeppelin-y John Paul Jones side of what he did. I loved the Southern rock side of what he did. I loved the country 
and the William Whalen side of what he did. Uh, and so we kind of just like became fast friends. Uh, we recorded that first record, put the O back in country uh, <laughs> throughout 2004. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and in fact, one of the songs I, 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 I kind of helped arrange a bunch of those tunes. So I have a little bit of like small co-writing credit on some of them for like coming up with the bridge or the riff. But I wrote one of those songs uh, called Steady at the Wheel that was on that first record. Uh, and so we started touring in 2005 and then, uh, I've been playing with him ever since. And so now he's not doing as much live playing, but he's still producing a lot. Yeah. I've... And so about 80% of the time when he's producing a record, I'll be involved. Okay. Um, every once in a while, it's a full band. And so of course they have a band and, and a bass player and all that included. So he works with them. But when it's, when it's an artist or a smaller group of musicians, like sometimes an artist will come out with a guitar player or something like that. Then I'll, I've been involved in dozens of projects that he's produced. It's been a wonderful relationship and he's a great guy. That's cool. I, I love, I love hearing, you know, cause I, I meet people, um, having been in this, you know, in the DJ line of work. Um, I, I was a promoter, um, got to take Coolio snowboarding a bunch of years ago here in Southern Oregon. He was just a really, really sweet individual, um, we had a great time, hung out with him for like three days. Um, great. yeah, got to introduce Chris Ledoux on stage at our County fair. Um, nice. he was, he came in, this is so funny. So the, the country bar that I worked at in the nineties was really popular and it was, it was kind of a known place and there was three in Oregon and one in Boise, Idaho. It was called rock and rodeo. Um, so we had the one in Medford, one in Eugene and one up in Portland and the one in Idaho. And, um, you know, the, we have a, we have a pretty popular county fair that people play at and, you know, they, they have good promoters. Um, but we, we would get, everyone would come in after their shows. You know, we had Diamond Rio in, we had obviously Chris Ledoux in and Chris's son, Ned hung out with me in the DJ booth and broke my maracas, just being goofy, broke the maracas. And he's like, Oh man, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm like, yeah, it's just maracas. It'll be okay. I go back to work the next day. They had stayed at our hotel. The The bar was in a hotel. And um, I come back to work the next day, and there was a fresh set of maracas in my DJ booth. <laughs> oh, that's great. So sweet. Um, I know you in, in, in about a month from when this episode releases, you are going to be releasing a new record called California Sun. That's coming out. That's on the, right. Coming out on March 22nd? Correct. Yeah, talk about that. Like, you know, talk about... California Sun. How'd that come about? Okay. Well, uh, I've lived here 20 years. So even though I'm originally from New York and then Seattle, um, I, I've been, uh, I've been slowly realizing, uh, how much I love California and love Los Angeles and the music scene here and the community of maybe a few hundred musicians that I'm working with off and on and getting to see every so often as I'm playing. And this is one of those cities in America and in the world where people move to make music. And it's the people who really care, the people who are not afraid to take a risk and leave their hometown um, and kind of want more and have a music career, not just play occasionally. Um, or and I like I remember in my my final years when I was living in Seattle, I remember feeling like, okay, I'm really good. I know I still have a lot to learn, but I've done every hundred dollar gig you can possibly do in the city, and I'm not going to join Soundgarden, and I'm not great enough to be playing with Bill Frizzell yet. But I need more, and I want more, and so I knew that uh, I needed a bigger city like Los Angeles, uh, and so. I, I worked hard and I became part of the community here. Uh, and I produced a lot of records. I play bass with lots of people. I met a lot of people, wonderful people like Shooter here. Uh, and I started making my own music. Uh, and one, another great thing about moving to LA is I was such a huge fan of music that had been made in LA. Uh, Jackson Brown was one of the real formative influences that got me out of loving Rush and Boston and stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Those are wonderful, deep uh, bands, you know. But when I discovered Jackson Brown and his poetic songwriting, 
and just uh, really what it is to be a songwriter in that singer-songwriter sense. And so you had, you know, like Crosby, Stills, Nash, you had Joni Mitchell, you had Neil Young, you had Randy Newman, you had uh, Warren Zevon, like the L.A. singer-songwriter scene changed my life as I got to understand it more. Um, also, the players on all those records. Also, bands like Little Feet uh, and the Birds and the Burrito Brothers and the Eagles. Uh, <laughs> and then and then you get deep and you're like, oh, wait, Dwight Yoakam also came up in L.A. Man, I love oh, wait, Dwight. Los, yep. Los Lobos also came up yeah. in L.A. Um, <laughs> and even going back farther, you've got Frank Sinatra and Nat King Cole and all these people working at Capitol Records and the Beach Boys. Like, the list goes on and on. So me and a whole lot of other professional musicians moved here partially because we were fans of the music that was made here. Mm. And, and then that kind of, and then you start doing gigs at the Troubadour and doing recording sessions at sunset sound mm. and all these great historic places. And, and I started feeling like, wow, I'm really part of this incredible legacy of music that the city has to offer. Um, another thing about, kind of the west coast in general it's like i remember growing up in new york and thinking oh yeah on the west coast they're just like these kind of free-thinking weirdos who'll just kind of go with the flow and you know like i remember these kind of stereotypes of california um this kind of hippie loosey-goosey quality that that uh, that a lot of east coasters thought when you think of california yeah, that goes along with the liberal politics and all that. Uh, and then I started realizing, wow, I deeply love improvisation. I deeply love, like, I don't want to just write a honky-tonk song or a jazz song or a funk song. I want to combine all these elements. Mm. Uh, I don't want to just be an, a, quote, outlaw country artist. I want to I mix and match. And I started realizing, wow, that's a very Californian approach to have that I kind of already had, but it really blossomed while I've been here. Uh, and I, and as I was putting out this, as I was preparing the songs that evolved into this record, I started realizing, wow, this song is very, this album can be very much about me reinventing myself here. Hmm. And had I been living in any other city in the world for the last 20 years, my life and my instincts would be completely different. Maybe not completely different, but I've evolved into this very California thing and I love it. Uh, and so that, that kind of became the, the kind of guiding principle for this record. So I've got some songs about specific places in California that I love. One is High Desert Fever, which is about kind of Joshua Tree and Pioneer Town. Um, one is called Miracle Mile, which is an area right in the middle of the heart of old L.A., uh, which is where you'd go and cruise in the 1950s, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, and then... Uh, I've got a couple songs very much about being a musician and a songwriter here. One is called One Word at a Time. Uh, one is called The Ballad of the Troubadour. And it's about being that lone troubadour who travels the world and then gets to come home. And the the, the choices you're making, the sacrifices you're making, the joy you find. Um, and I've found that every, pretty much, not all of them, but most of the songs on this record are very much either about California, about living and working in Los Angeles or just about me personally. And so that's kind of how it, uh, it kind of evolved into being. Well, you, you brought up a, a song that I want you to talk about. Uh, we're, we're going to play here in a minute, one word at a time. Will you, will you talk about that song specifically? Sure. Um, I'm very proud of that one. Um, another example of an incredible group of musicians that moved to LA to make some amazing music that I hadn't talked about before is the band. Uh, and I love Bob Dylan and I love the band, their whole catalog and their attitude and the fact that they had these three great singers and all of this eclectic and creative energy, you know, and soulful energy. Uh, so on every record I have, there's at least one or two songs that is kind of indebted to the band or inspired by the band. And so this is, the, this is one of those tunes on this record. Um, uh, I wrote the song uh, with a wonderful woman named Jenny Van West, who's a fabulous singer-songwriter in Maine. Uh, she originally came out to L.A. to record a record, and I played bass on it. Uh, and then we became great friends and have done different shows when, like, when we meet, meet up together in Austin for South by Southwest or Nashville for the Americana Conference. Uh, and so we wrote this song um, actually during COVID. Uh, we, we did it with a Zoom call. Uh, 
And then we got together again, kind of refined it a little bit. And it's about, it's a song about writing songs. It's called One Word at a Time. Uh, and how you can, uh, what are some of the lyrics? Um, a piece of paper, a chair, a desk and a pen. Another 40-watt morning and a chance to begin again. Another empty page today, another search for something to say. But it's the life I chose and I'm going to find my way, one word at a time. Inch by inch, note by note, and line by line. And so it's it's uh, uh, it's kind of dangerous, and you know, like there's a there's a great long history of musicians getting a little too self-involved, writing about themselves and their problems. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them become very universal and wonderful, and lots of people relate. And every once in a while, you're like, "Oh yeah, great, you're on your own little trip there. I hope you enjoy it." Sorry, sorry, uh, sorry about the woe is me energy going on, but you're you know, um, but. This song I was very happy with because there's an optimism in it. There's a way of working through what we're doing and describing kind of the lonely internal part of sitting alone and writing a song and trying to make it real. Uh, uh, and so that, uh, yeah, that's one of the ones I'm really proud of on this one. Well, let's play. Thanks for calling it out. Yeah, let's play one word at a time. Great. A chair and a pen It's a 40 white morning And a chance to begin again Another empty page today Another search for something to say But it's the life I chose And I'm gonna find my way One word at a time
Ted, you're getting ready to go overseas on a on a pretty big tour. It looks like. Um, how do you keep your energy up while you're out on tour? Uh, that's a good question. Well, first of all, I'll say the music is is what we love. You know, having toured a lot over the years, you know, it's like you spend 16 or 18 hours a, a day sleeping or driving or eating or preparing for the gig. Mm-hmm. And then you finally have 90 minutes or something to perform. And that makes it all worthwhile. And I can't tell you how many times if I have a show that I'm not proud of, I'm bummed out the next day until I can redeem myself the next night. Or if I have a great show, I feel wonderful about myself. And I'm just, you know, like loving driving around and seeing some countryside somewhere or exploring, you know, Gothenburg, Sweden or whatever. And I'm getting ready for the next show. Um, One thing I've definitely learned is I love I love being social and I love partying a little bit. But traveling is about the work we do and the music we make. Yeah. It's not about partying. So, so, uh, so you gotta you gotta put that put that in context and have a good time. Uh, and especially if you're going to places like Germany, where you'll show up in some wonderful village, and they'll say, "Oh, we have this local drink that you've never heard of," <laughs> and and it's like this kind of somewhere between schnapps and something else, and it's this ancient medieval beverage that we've been making in this village. You need to have some. So, of course, I want to live life and I want to enjoy. So I'll have some. But I, but you can't have too much because then uh, that, then tomorrow night's show will suffer. You know, <laughs> I've, uh, I've never so it's really it's, it's really it, it, it definitely is about stamina. Uh, it's definitely about trying to enjoy yourself. And like I love I love history mm. and I love learning about cities and their histories. I love visiting different parts of the t- neighborhoods. It makes my experience better and makes the shows better. I love making friends in different places. Uh, and so like, I, I, I'm, I've always like, even touring with shooter, I'm the one who will like wake up and walk around town and make a few friends and check out the village and the neighborhoods. And then, and then those people come to the show and then it's even better because I'm performing for friends, not just for a bunch of faceless strangers out there. The, it, you reminded me of my first time visiting Seattle, and it, wa- it wasn't actually all that long ago. It's been less than 10 years, and um, it's funny because I've lived here. I'm from Missouri, uh, moved here from Colorado. I've lived in other states, um, Nevada, California, Texas, Kansas, Nebraska, so on and so forth. But um, I'd lived here since 88, and I went to I went to Seattle for my first time, and I literally walked— uh, I think I covered 16 miles in a day by myself, just wow. walking around, man. I, I stayed on Capitol Hill. Um, I walked down. I can't remember the name. I think it was 14th. Um, went down to Volunteer Park and that, um, that uh, oh, man, where, uh, gosh, the graveyard, uh, the, the gravesite of uh, Bruce and Brandon Lee. I went and saw that. And then I walked all the way to East Lake, and then down around and into downtown, and did the whole, you know, uh, Pike Street stuff. <laughs> it was a lot, man. Great. I had a great, great time, and in, ended up on a ferry over to Bainbridge. It's just beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Um, ha- have you ever bombed on stage? Uh, huh. That's an inter- <laughs> that's an interesting thought. Uh, I. Wh- one of the things I started realizing about myself when I was li- still living in Seattle and I'd probably been a professional musician for like four or five years. One of the things I realized is my job as a, one of my jobs as a musician is to be so good and so focused. And when I make a mistake, you self-correct as fast as possible. Yeah. So that the audience doesn't even know. And sometimes you make a mistake and other band members don't even notice but I know I made, oh, I just that one note on the way to the bridge or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Um, but when you make a mistake, you self-correct. And being self-aware while being soulful and open and honest and in the zone, like that's that's one of the biggest challenges of, of playing music live, you know? Um, and I remember I remember having this realization where it's like, wow, I need to be good enough so that the worst show of my year is one of the best shows that anyone in this audience has ever seen. Hey, yes. <laughs> that's my, and that's my goal. So I have, I, I don't like, like maybe, you know, like 
you know, I really bombed a couple times with my bands in like high school and college and stuff, you know, uh, before you kind of know better, uh, you know, like, like you only, you only know your eight songs and then you end up playing a wedding and it's like the bride and groom love you and everybody else in the room is confused. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they're not a fan of this music. Sure. And so you gotta, you know, sometimes you can, sometimes I'll choose songs that are not the right songs. And I'll be like, oh, they're not liking the ballads tonight. I gotta, I don't want to never do a ballad again, but I want to do other songs that will bring the audience back in and then throw them the right ballad later. You know, I really like making, I really like having a song list but not a set list on stage. Okay. So I'll have a list of my 20 or 30 songs that I might, I might be into doing tonight. I have my mental list of my five or 10 that are my personal favorites or the ones that always go over great. Um, but I kind of like winging it and changing it around. So it's not really about bombing. It's about Reading. making the show. The difference between really good and great and amazing I'm feeling great about myself. You know, I'll give you my experience with bombing, and it, it it's 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 similar to yours. Um, at this rock and rodeo place, I learned that it was very important that the bar make money, and if everyone's dancing, the bar's not making money. So you you've got to shit the bed every now and then, right? And by oh, that, okay. you got to play a you got to give people a chance to go back to the bar. Yeah, you got to get them off the dance floor. Life. And it's it was really funny because people would come up and I would do it every night. You know, I do it Thursday, Friday, Saturday were busy nights. Wednesday didn't matter. The floor was empty. You know, after the dance lessons, was, I'm just a jukebox at that point um, or running a promotion, whatever. And so on a Thursday, Friday or a Saturday night, we'd have like anywhere from three to six hundred people in the bar. And I would empty the dance floor purposely and then the bar would be packed and every time that happened someone would approach me and go what's up with the dance floor bro like i'm like look at the bar oh yeah why yeah your <laughs> job is to make them music too yeah you know i've definitely had times when uh i re i haven't like not this re well california sun i'm very proud of all the songs but like a couple years ago i put out a record called solitaire which was kind of my quarantine album it was much more introspective, much more consistently folky, um, you know. And as we were coming out of the the quarantine, I really wanted to play a lot of these mellower songs because they were my new ones I was excited about. Mm. And I end up in a place like, wow, these people want to dance or these people want to rock. I, you know, I need I need to temper it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And fit into the room mm. as well as as well as be myself. You know. Like, I want these people, like, I got, and I, one of the thoughts I had when I was playing less jazz back in the day is I really started liking playing with singers rather than horn players. Because when you're actually singing in English, the audience relates to it more. Oh, okay. And I remember all, a lot of my, a lot of my great horn player friends were like, why are you playing all that square gigs with your singers, man? And I was like, I really love this Cole Porter song and I want to hear someone sing it. It's not as exciting for me to have like six minutes of solos with 45 seconds at the beginning and the end where you play the melody. I want to hear the melody and I want more people to understand it. A lot of the instrumental jazz that I was a part of, it's like 80% of the audience was other jazz musicians and students of jazz. Mm. You know, I was like, I want to play for, I want my music to be understood and I want this communication to be part of it. Uh, you know, like, so when I'm when I'm singing live or when I'm recording, I, I really want to kind of enunciate. So you understand what the words are. You understand what the story is and give you a chance to get into it. Uh, now, every once in a while, you know, there's someone who just like deeply loves Black Sabbath and heavy metal. And I'm, I'm like, oh, I don't like Ted Russell Camp. He's too mellow for me. I'm like, OK, great. That's 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 a taste thing. Um, but I at least want to be eclectic enough and have my music be inviting enough so that people have a chance to get into it. Mm. Uh, and so it's, it's, for me, it's never really about bombing. It's about trying to make it as great as it can be. Yeah. Because, and I, I actually did a great gig not long ago, um, uh, with an artist who I was friends with, but didn't really, had never really played with. And it was pretty intricate and subtle music. And before the gig, I was saying, man, I hope it goes well. He's like, Come on, we all got our ten thousand hours. What's the worst that can happen? We're all gonna, we're every, you know, well, we you know we might miss a little arrangement thing here and there. Or someone might play a wrong note here or there. 
but you know, unless unless the unless the ceiling collapses on us all, gig's gonna be great. Uh, and and so I, I I you know, and one of the great things I love doing when I book my own gigs is if you, you stack the deck with wonderful musicians who are talented who you relate to, and you can share this experience together. So you so that the three or four or five of you can create this energy together, you know, and then hopefully it creates this wave, and the audience loves it. You know, it's not just you playing for yourselves. It's you all making this cumulative, uh, powerful music. It's it's funny because as a DJ, you know, I know how to beat match. Uh, I I can I can hear a key clash in my headphones and and adjust and play something else, you know, and, and beat match it. And only other DJs know when I have when I have mixed a train wreck. <laughs> right sure you know sure. no nobody else, no no one dancing gives a crap like they're boogieing you know they're there for for that uh only the the dj standing in the corner watching your every move knows you made a train wreck right like i i imagine that it's it's similar to that um yeah no i've, I've definitely i've definitely been on stage and uh or in the audience and you see someone just do like wow they're gonna do another ballad or, or for me, sometimes like, okay, well, okay, this song is a little too similar to the last one, but that's kind of the sound of the band, the sound of the artist, and that's what they want to do. Hmm. Like, even if I would have made a different call, uh, and, and sometimes I'll be pleasantly surprised and learn from their decision that originally looked like a mistake to me, and sometimes I'll be like, yep, that's what I would have done better, or or, or I would have tried to do better, you know, but. And we're, you know, we're all out there as artists and musicians making, making the decisions we make. And that's what's, that's what makes music beautiful is we all do it differently. How has your life changed since winning a Grammy for your work with Tanya Tucker? Uh, you know, it hasn't changed a ton. Uh, I was already working with a lot of people I loved and respected. I will say that that record was really inspiring to be a part of. And Tanya and Brandy Carlisle and Shooter and uh, Brandy has these two twin brothers that she's been working with forever. Tim and Phil Hanseroth, who are just great guys, wonderful songwriters, wonderful players. Um, and so that was a really wonderful and like deep and inspiring record. And it was really like having toured a lot and played with some people who are famous and some people who are just talented and local and working their way up. Um, I've made a lot of great music with six people in the audience. Or I've done a lot of great gigs and recordings that no one ever gets to really hear. So it was really uh, rewarding to have a record that we all felt so positively and deeply about and then have the rest of the world understand it and appreciate it Mm. and give it the respect that they felt it deserved too. Um, uh, Yeah. Uh, so and and yeah, so definitely it gives you a little bit of confidence, and definitely started starts me thinking a little bit. I was like, how is this better than all this other stuff? That I did that no <laughs> sure, right? You know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. But but that's the nature of the music industry. That's the nature of the media. That's the nature of of you know also working with it with a literally a singer as talented as a as a communicator as Tanya Tucker is. Mm. Like there would be times when she didn't really know the song, and she'd walk in, and and like Brandy would like print out the lyrics for her and she'd be kind of like mouthing along and singing along. And even before she knew the melody and the phrasing, it's just mind blowing. What a great singer she is like, Oh my God, that's why millions of people have related to this women's music all these years. And now I get to be part of it and, or everybody in this room gets to be part of it too. Mm. So it it was, uh, it was really wonderful. You know, it's not like, I now drive a Maserati and get to stay in five-star hotels all the time. I'm still a working musician. Right. You know, but it, but it was, it was a deep and wonderful experience. I'm also really glad we got to get pretty much the same team back together and do a second record with Tanya. Awesome. And I hope we do more. I hope I get to work with Brandy and Tim and Phil more. And, uh, you know, God knows I get to work with Shooter a lot and, uh, and the, the side of that team that he brought in, so yeah, it was it was it was really awesome and really wonderful. Uh, and every once in a while, when when I'm on some local stage, and the person I'm working with is like, "Oh, here's Ted Russell Camp on bass, and he got a Grammy," then everyone kind of just looks like, "Ooh, he's 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 official." Huh. Yeah, you know what I mean. I like it. So it's like I don't I'm, I I don't do gigs so that people can say that. Mm. 
but it's nice to have you know because so much so much of music is you feel it's powerful you feel how powerful it is some people really have a magical energy when they perform and write and sing uh but art is kind of intangible you know and sometimes you can see someone and just sense their experience you know, like I can see someone, I'm sure you can too. You see, you can just see someone the way they get their guitar out of their case and the way they plug it in and know how much experience they have and know that even mm. if you don't enjoy their particular genre or whatever, you know, like, oh, they're, they're great musicians. You just feel it. And, and that's the feeling that I get when I, when I get to play music a lot of the time with the other people I'm working with, which is so inspiring. And it's wonderful that, you know, when someone says, oh, yeah, Ted got a Grammy, whatever, then then the, then the people who maybe they're not as in tune with music as others, they they hear that and like, oh, well, now you're official, you know, <laughs> now or now or now. Oh, wow. You must be talented. Like, whereas mm. if they might not have felt it in the same way if they had just seen me play or met me or something mm. like that, then I, they go, oh, OK, there's a there's an extra uh, yeah, just just an extra little bit of support and belief. And so, I, I mean, I don't wake up and live for that and think about that all the time. But that's a nice that's a, that's a nice thing that that brought. Like, wow, you're official. You're not you're not just some old guy still out there playing in bars. You've really made some some music that strangers have found is world class music. Wow, are you familiar with the music of the Bones of J.R. Jones? Uh no, what's okay. that music like? I'll it, it I'll I'll send it I'll send it to you after the interview. You I think you'll like him. But I, I asked that because just the other night he was playing here locally. Um, I interviewed him last year, and his music is you know he's sometimes a one man band. Um, he's currently touring with a drummer. Um, playing Seattle tonight actually. <laughs> Great. Um, as as we speak, I'm getting ready to play in Seattle, but um. I went to the show and uh, was it in a tiny little place, the the Talent Club, and their sound was like, I mean, it was amazing. I've been to a bunch of shows and a bunch of concerts, um, and this little little bar, a cash only bar, nonetheless, in this little town of Talent, which is between Medford and Ashland, um, had the best sound experience I think I've ever had anywhere. This guy, that guy, knows what he's doing. However. Uh, JR, the bones of JR Jones, comes out on stage and he he grabs his guitar and plugs it in and it it's just what you said. It, it that that's a funny thing to hear and then realize that I saw that with my own eyes just the other night. But um, yeah, you know, you just you just feel oh, this guy's really good. It's legitimacy, yeah. <laughs> just that, and, and you just you just sense you just sense this confidence. Right. And sense like, oh, and, you know, like every once in a while I'll get off stage and I'll be insecure about the performance. I'll ask my friend, how'd I do? And he'd be like, you're always you're always really good. You're always great. Mm. Like you, you're a, you've 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 been an MC and talked on the mic for years. Yeah, I like your songs. You always kind of change it up nicely, you know, so 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 it's wonderful to have that kind of constant belief that someone has in me and my music, which is part of consistency and experience right yeah i um um i got to a place in weddings that i would play about 45 a year and so uh this year i've only got two and i'm fine it's okay it's like i don't yeah, want yeah. i don't want to do 45 or 50 gigs a year anymore you know i've done it a long time and um, it's I'm good with uh, my day job and um, doing the podcast. You know, the podcast feeds me emotionally, like like DJing had. Um, but I want to talk about the uh, title track of your your record coming out soon, California Sun. So let, let's get ready to play that. Talk about California California Sun, the song. Um, well, I deliberately wanted. I, well, I I love what is quote called California country. Mm. And the Eagles and Graham Parson and the Birds, uh, Burrito Brothers, had this really wonderful way of combining rock and country music. Uh, and so I, 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 I deliberate as as the as the album California Sun became a thing, I was like, you know, I should write a song called California Sun. Uh, and I decided to make it a little more like literal and autobiographical 
like I literally than than most songs. Um, I literally have lyrics about leaving New York and driving to Seattle and the kind of gigs I used to do and being you know playing playing in blues bars when I lived in Seattle, and then. And then, oh, I took the risk and I moved here. And then I played the troubadour and da 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 da. Uh, uh, and so it's, it's and and I, I was a little self conscious of it. Like no one needs to song needs to hear a song that literal. But one of the things I've been enjoying about it, and that was kind of like the tipping point for letting the song be on the record, was that it's my personal story, but it's also a dream that so many other people have had, had their parallel version of it. And other musicians and people, whether it's L.A. or anywhere else, it's about it's kind of about a dream coming true. Mm. And as your as your as your hobby becomes your job, which is what happened with me. And then you you are passionate about it. You want to keep growing. You want to keep doing it. And then it's like, wow, I've now survived. You know, it's like I can't tell you how many times I go to other cities and people are like, you live in L.A. Man, I hate L.A. That must suck. <laughs> I feel sorry for you. And then I say, have you ever lived in L.A.? And they go, no. Okay, have you ever visited? No. Well, I had this cousin who moved there and lived there for about six months and then moved back to Boise. Mm. I'm like, okay, well, maybe that cousin, as talented and wonderful as they were or are, couldn't figure out how to make a living there. And so they moved back to an environment that they felt safer in. I'm one of those people that somehow worked hard enough to figure it out. And now 20 years later, I'm happy. And in fact, I want to stay here for another 20 years and keep doing it. And so uh, I, I, I was glad that this song kind of fit into, at least in my mind, it fits into the dream of how Jackson Brown used to write about his life. Mm. And it's like not as tongue in cheek or as kind of funny as like I Love L.A. by Randy Newman. But I love how my my personal story is part of this larger myth and story. You know, there are not only countless musicians, but, you know, like the, the Quentin Tarantino's and the James Dean's and the Marilyn Monroe's and the Johnny Depp's and the, uh, you know, Pearl Tukowski's, the people that like either were from here or they moved here and they somehow made it work. I like you know, it. That's so that's that's part of that. That's part of this. That's that's part of the song. And so I deliberately. It's got this upbeat California country kind of vibe. Um, I deliberately, um, my buddy came in to play slide guitar, Brian Whelan, uh, and we started coming up with this melody. I was like, you know what? Let's be blatantly like David Lindley with Jackson Brown in the 70s. Let's just go for that guitar tone because that's part of what I love about this whole town and energy. Like, let's be really right on the nose with our influences and not be afraid. And so that's that's one of the things I love about the song. Um, yeah, it's it was a nice uh, like after all those years of playing with Shooter Jennings, he's always he he tends to be much more autobiographical with his songs than I am with mine. You know, like I'll pick a moment in my life and kind of get into it deeply and exaggerate and kind of create a love story around it, and then that's the song. You know, so a lot of my songs are definitely personal, but not so literal. Uh, and I was like, you know, I'm getting the idea for this. Why don't I make it really literal like Shooter likes to do mm. and other and so many other artists that I've loved. And I, so it was kind of an experiment in songwriting as well. Well, let's play California Sun. Great. Here we go. A chair and a pen It's a 40 white morning And a chance to begin again Another empty page today Another search for something to say But it's the life I chose And I'm gonna find my way One word at a time to the 
Ted, how can my yeah. how can <laughs> I'm just like saying your name? How can how can my audience connect with you? Um, well, my full name is Ted Russell Camp, mm-hmm. so it's T E D R U S S E L L K A M P. And so I've got TedRussellCamp.com. We got Facebook.com slash TedRussellCamp and Instagram.com slash TedRussellCamp. Uh, you can also youtube.com slash Ted Russell camp. If you want to see some, uh, live and studio footage and, uh, stuff like that. So you can follow me and just check the music out. If you type my name into Spotify or iTunes, I'll come right up. I I Uh, will include the links in the show notes. Um, I, and I also did see your, uh, your live show or your concert in uh, Finland on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. It was a lot of fun. Uh, my my last question is going to be the most serious question that I ask you, and I haven't yet decided which one it is. There's like three, so I'm going to give you one question. All right, great. All right, you you open your refrigerator and discover a penguin is in there. What do you do? Uh, I leave the door open. Okay. I back up a little bit, and I wait to see what the penguin does. I don't know if it's going to be violent or, or confused uh am i invading its space i'm also wondering how this penguin got into my refrigerator <laughs> uh is it eating the milk or the cottage cheese or or uh or or like the cold cuts i don't know uh i might i might i'll back up and i'll wait and then i'll probably like I don't know. I don't know what you do when you find a wild animal in your house. Right. You call, you, you call the zoo. Call the zoo. I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> hey, I got a penguin in my refrigerator. Would would you would you all like to take it? You know, come get it and have it at your zoo. Please come take it. I don't know what to do with it. Yeah, like I don't really know how to take care of a penguin. 
Yeah, you got to have live fish, but you can't really have... Cats and dogs are hard enough. uh... Oh, buddy. (laughs) Anyway... Ted, I, man, I really appreciate this time you've spent uh, with me on this interview. So thank you very much. Um, tell, tell Shooter Jennings that I'll, I'll email him back as soon as possible. But yes, he can be on the podcast. Okay, great. great. I have no contact with him. I just wanted to say that. But anyway, thank you so much, Ted Russell Camp. I, re- I, again, really do appreciate your time. I hope you know that. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Have a great day, sir. Awesome. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> He's... That guy really is a giver, man. That was a fun interview. Um, thank you again to Ted Russell Camp. I'll get the show, the notes, uh, the links in the show notes for you, so you can just click and and have a good time checking out his music. Um, Want to thank the sponsors one more time: um, Royal Coffee Roasting. Of course, I've got a look design and Moxley Media. So thank you all so very much. Share the podcast interview with your friends. Share it with your mom. Share it with your mom's friends. Share it with your friend's mom. Um, Whatever you do, just share it, okay? Will you do that? I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. You're welcome for listening to The Woodshed. Oh, thank you for listening to The Woodshed. We hope to see you next time on The Woodshed. Thank you for listening. What's on our mind?